This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. And we are going to... So for some reason, we re-watched that Michigan State game, and we are going to give our thoughts on that performance after watching the game again. Uh, maybe some things we didn't notice watching it live, what stood out to us, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, also, maybe give give some big picture thoughts on maybe what is wrong with the program, in our opinion, uh, you know, through three games. And then we will discuss, we also got Manny Diaz, Rhett Lashley, Jess Simpson in the press conferences on Monday. Uh, share the tidbits and news items that that came out of that and we will wrap it all up with recruiting thoughts Um, because Miami did have some big time targets uh, at the game and on campus over the weekend and just in general right Uh, I think it's important to touch on maybe where things are at with recruiting uh, when things get tough here in a season like this so Gabby, let's get into it. Uh, I'll let you go first, right? Rewatching the game. What what stood out to you? Where do you want to start this conversation? Yeah, I mean, just, I feel like, I don't know, man. I feel like there's just so many different directions <laughs> where you can sort of go with this of like, just like what went wrong and, and all that stuff. I, I think to me, honestly, you know, I mean, they turned the ball over, obviously, on the first drive. Can't happen. But I think even despite that, um, you know, I do think that basically through really like two and a half quarters, basically almost three quarters, I thought Miami was in a position to win. To me, just watching it back again, yeah, I really think just like that, I think the moment, like the one moment where you can point to and be like, that's exactly where everything went south is just, it's the Will Mallory drop touchdown. Like, you know, that was the opportunity to go up 14-3, um, you know, that I think puts Miami in a way better position. Again, it's something, it's something simple like catching the ball that I think really changes just the entire trajectory of the game. Obviously, Andres Borgales misses a 27 yarder. Uh, Michigan State gets the ball back and drives straight down the field and, um, and, and they score. So, I mean, you have a, you have a, a two touchdown point swing right there. And I just, and even despite that, I still think there was opportunity really. I thought it was super competitive. Right. Uh, you know, really through three quarters until, you know, Derek King got like that blindside sack where he lost the ball. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that at that point, that was just a tipping point where it was just like, all right, this is just too much is going against Miami at this point for them to really overcome this. But, you know, I, I really don't think Miami played that clean of a game. And I obviously I think the tack, the tackling was pretty putrid. Um, but I think even despite that, I do think that there was an avenue for them to win. And, um, 
you know, that Will Mallory touch, drop touchdown to me is just like, you know, it seemed like everything was going positive. You know, it, it seemed like the offense almost started getting rolling. Like they had scored yeah. the, the drive before they get the ball back. They sort of start driving down the field. You have the Keyshawn Smith long ball pass interference in the end zone. You're like in a spot where like you could potentially score again. And then, you know, again, it was almost like that confidence drive. Like they needed that confidence drive where, okay, we just scored two consecutive touchdowns. Maybe that's where everything gets rolling. Maybe that's the pivot point of the season where it's, where it's like, okay, the offense found their groove again. And then that sort of happens and it feels like everything just really snowballed from that. And so, you know, there, there's other million things I can point to yeah. that, you know, no, we'll get I, I, thought, I thought that was probably like the moment watching it back where I felt that way in person, you know, like when I saw it, I was like, yeah, like this is, this is obviously really bad, but then watching it back, like you just saw how much that drop and that missed field goal really impacted the rest of the way. And it's just like, terrible man like that that could have been that could have potentially led to a potentially the polar opposite result where Miami lost by what 21 points like right. I could have seen a situation where Miami wins by that much or just wins by double digits if Will Mallory catches that you get another stop on defense get the ball back you're confident at that point get rolling and who knows what happens on that next offensive drive if that happens so yeah, in the first half, I do I do think it was pretty clear that Miami was the better team, right? Yeah, it felt I think, that way. I think they were playing better. But then you look at the scoreboard at halftime, it's 10 to 7. Uh, Michigan State's winning, right? So that's never a good sign. You're allowing a lesser team to stay in the game. Um, and, you know, I do think things started changing in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. But let, let's stick here with this point in the, cause this is one like big picture kind of Manny Diaz thing that's bothered me quite frankly for his whole tenure. I think I want to write about this on the website, but I'll still bring it up here to me. Like during this Manny Diaz era, Miami has definitely been a front running team. And, and what do I mean by that? Like, so yeah, you look at you look back at the first quarter performances of any of Manny Diaz's loss during his tenure, and the Hurricanes are never winning at the end of a first quarter. And in most of those games, honestly, they are trailing, and in some of those games, they are trailing significantly. Now, in this Michigan State game, right, uh, the the score was zero zero at the end of the first quarter. But it was troubling because, you know, Miami, I think, was the better team in that quarter, you know, opening the game. And in that first quarter, Miami was missing on some big opportunities. You mentioned that drive, Gabby, the De'Eric King fumble on the first drive. They were moving the ball. They looked like they were going to score, you know, a field goal maybe at least. Uh, Later in that quarter, you had a big Mike Harley drop on third down that killed a drive and I think it was late in that first quarter Tyreek Stevenson dropped a pick uh would have been a heck of a play but he did have the pick and then he dropped it so those were some momentum changing plays in the first quarter when I felt like Miami could have put them away early quite frankly like beyond the Will Mallory drop Uh, The Will Mallory drop, of course, was inexcusable and just compounds that issue. Um, But yeah, man, I mean, I don't understand why this is a trend during the Manny Diaz era. You know, essentially Miami's a front running team. If they don't jump on 
their opponents early, uh, you know, it, it feels like the probability of losing jumps significantly for these teams. Do you think that's fair to say, or am I, am I pulling stuff out of my butt right now? No, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. It feels like if they don't get off to like that start or if they just start slowly, it's sort of like trickles down into everything else. Like, yeah, I do agree. I mean, that fumble, again, I feel like it kind of goes back. I mean, it, it, it feels like there was a chance for them to really get going the right way. And then, I mean, the Air King just gets the ball ripped from him, all that stuff. And then I feel like it's it kind of goes downhill from there. And even then, I feel like maybe they start to sort of find their groove a little bit uh, before, you know, everything happened. I mean, you end up, right. I think like they found Charleston Rambo in the end zone, a play after he, Derek King misses a, I mean, Will Mallory's literally standing right by himself. I mean, who knows if he would have caught it at this point, but misses him overshoots like Elijah Royo, then finally finds Charleston right. Rambo. And then, you know, obviously the next drive, you know, you, you have a chance for Will, Will Mallory to score again. You end up finding Charleston Rambo again. In the, I think it was a, was it the second quarter, the second half? Um, yeah. You know, second half. Tremendous. The second catch. half. Amazing cat, but like you know, there was plays to be made. I think for them to even like overcome that potentially, but still, I mean, because they didn't, it's it's still very much on topic of of what you're saying now. Of like when they don't get going quickly, it just doesn't seem to translate into yeah. wins or anything it feels else like, like that. Kind of like deer in headlights, kind of almost, where it's like, all right, as this game is progressing, this team is sticking around, and oh no, and you know. I don't know if it's arrogance. I don't know. I don't know how you address that mentality, but it is a trend, unfortunately, during this Manny Diaz era. And I do, I will say, like in the fourth quarters, like Miami, like last year in particular, Miami did a good job of pulling out games in the fourth mm -hmm. quarter. Yeah. That wasn't the case against Michigan State, um, of course, but, you know, this first quarter nonsense. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. And I don't understand why it's always a thing in these losses during the Manny Diaz era. Let's go to Derek King, right? Um, you know, I, on the rewatch, I feel like he played. I mean, this is weird to say, but, and maybe it's obvious, but I feel like you take away three of his turnovers because one of those turnovers wasn't his fault, the blindside sack, right? Yeah. Like, what's he going to do? Uh, but three of his turnovers were, in my opinion, bad plays, like really bad plays, especially for Deere King. You know, the, the pick before halftime, he, yeah. he, he can't throw that ball. No. Like, you know, I think he got a little greedy on that. Um, you know, the fumble, of course, first drive. And then, you know, the pick at the end of the game, like, yeah, he's, he's trying to make something, something happen, but still, you know, not a great decision or throw. Uh, but outside of those three plays, which, you know, look, I think the fumble was significant. And I think the pick before half, I would say was kind of a big deal as well. Um, I think he played a tremendous game, especially within the context of, his shoulder or his arm is falling off his shoulder uh, yeah. because he's so banged up and he's still out there fighting, diving head first on fourth and one situations. Um, I couldn't like, I could not tell a difference in his throwing ability um, with that shoulder injury in the second half. Um, and he got it banged up multiple times in that game. 
and he just gutted through it. I would assume, you know, I'm speculating here. I'm not reporting this. I would assume when he went into the locker room, he got it shot up and maybe it numbed, you know, whatever the pain was and he just played through it. Uh, but still, I think overall, Derek King was one of the best players on Miami's team once again. And I would say once again, Derek King is not getting much help around him offensively. And that continues to be an issue. What were your thoughts about Derek's performance after we were re-watching the game? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with a lot of your points. Um, you know, with the with that with the the near halftime interception, like it feel like if it was a seam, I feel like he just threw it like eight yards late. too late. Yeah. yeah. Or if in that case, if you're gonna throw it at that time, I think you just gotta put a, bu- a bunch of air on it and hope that you know. I think he was throwing it to Rambo. Uh, I think you just hope Rambo tracks it down. Like he just threw like a line drive. It just didn't make sense to me. I just think if you're gonna throw that ball at that time. You just got to put a bunch of air on it and just see if your guy can just beat everyone else, like just get behind the defense, beat everyone, potentially overthrow it and see if, uh, you know, just no harm, no foul. But I just kind of like what you're alluding to. I'm not sure how much he even has in that arm right now to be able to like sort of send it that way. Um, But yeah, I definitely would have liked that to be a a, a different decision. I thought he took a couple of risks. Like, you know, he had that one, I think it was a third and something to Mike Harley that he kind of squeezed it right in there. It was actually a pretty impressive catch by Mike Harley. I mean, I thought that. Was, I mean, I think that was a pretty dangerous throw too. It just so happened to work out. Uh, the Charleston Rambo touchdown that was in traffic. I thought that was a pretty dangerous throw that just sort of worked out, um, you know. And then you know, just throughout the game, yeah. I mean, I, super gritty performance. Like, I, I, I don't think anyone could question like his heart and like his passion for just wanting to do as much as possible. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see him maybe throw guys, put the ball in a position where guys can sort of have the opportunity That's to fair. run after the catch. You know, I feel like he is throwing the ball very low at times. Like, yeah. I don't know how Agreed. strong I think that that's arm is nitpicking, at this point. Yeah, I, it is. I think it is fair, though. I mean, that is happening. Yeah. But, like, is that the issue why the offense? No, it's not. You know. But, I mean, with with Derek, like, again, I, I, I just – I'm at the point where I'm not even sure how healthy, how healthy he is. Like, he can't be healthy. Like, Absolutely. enough to – We to, saw like, him after the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I'm a little concerned just overall, but, I mean, I don't think anyone can question Vier King's effort at all. I will say, you know, look, Charleston Rambo is one of the guys on offense that did step up, right? I said nobody really stepped up outside of Vier King. Charleston Rambo showed up today. Um, I think, what, at halftime he had 10 receptions. He yeah. finished the game with 12. So one thing that did frustrate me on the rewatch was why they weren't able to because Michigan State, for the most part, kept playing off coverage the whole game, right? It's, it's been but don't break. And Miami, I feel like, kind of got away from that uh, in the second half um, when, when I feel like there was some easy yards there to, to exploit. So that frustrated me from like a play-calling or a decision-making standpoint um, with Rambo. And, you know, we've touched on it too. The Zion Nelson uh, whiff on the blindside block early in the fourth quarter, just, I mean, it looked like, you know, the plays we saw him make in his first start against Florida, right? Like you can't be making those plays as a junior. Um, So (laughs) I don't know. I just wanted to. Yeah, I'm just ready for those. I I just hope everyone, I mean, 
I don't see Zion Nelson as like that first round pick as, that he was projected right. as before. I kind of wanted to see. I mean, I can't. It, it, I can't imagine if he had. I was about to say, like, is there? Can you at this point? Can you envision a situation where Zion Nelson's not back at Miami next year? Like, right. I, I don't think he can take off to the pros right now. Like, I don't think he's that guy. Right. Let's go to. I also think too. It's worth pointing out, Romelo Brinson. I thought he was very impressive, right? Needs to play more. So, and I think he will. Uh, so that was encouraging on offense. Um, defense. You know, I think the defensive line overall played pretty good or, you know, played okay. And everything behind them was a roller coaster ride. Um, I do think the linebacker level does look slower without Keontre Smith. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I, d- I definitely would. I definitely would. And I don't think, like, like I don't know, Wayne Minsteed, he, he, j- he just is what he is to me, right? Like, I can't really bang on Wayne Minsteed because yeah. I don't expect much of Wayne Minsteed. So, you know, I think overall he played a Wayne Minsteed type of game. Yeah. Um, yeah, he had what? a couple of plays here and there. He had like the he he had like the early sack, and I think he was in on another tackle for loss. Like he had certain things, but like the general product wasn't like what you said. It's very Wayne Steed esque. Yeah, the 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 thing that's tough, right, is is the linebackers in general aren't close to the Miami standard. So, but we kind of knew that. I mean, you can't expect guys to just all of a sudden be what they're not ever going to be. So that's where I have a hard time judging them. Um, but again, not where it needs to be. Amari Carter, I, you know, I think he played well against App State. I think he played really poorly this week, um, which is kind of the Amari Carter experience, unfortunately. Um, and then, you know, look, he's not the only guy, like, like honestly, Gervin Hall's play. And we talked about this in the instant reaction podcast, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it went viral. Obviously, no one can explain it. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> All that stuff. But like Bubba Bolden, like in terms of his performance, was just as bad uh, with his play. I feel like um, he he was missing tackles all over the place. Not impressive at all to me. Uh, to Corey Couch, you know, again, he's very small, so maybe. This just is what it is, but he struggled to tackle on the edge. I feel like Tyreek Stevenson might have been the only guy that in the secondary that tackled somewhat well. Um, but then on the flip side, he got beat by the little stop and go touchdown that kind of yeah. sealed the game in the fourth quarter, which mm-hmm. I think we can expect to see more of that from offenses moving forward, right? Um, I'm sure they're going to try and test Tyreek in that way. Um Anything else? I thought Chance Williams play, you know, he continues yeah. to flash, right? And I do, it does make me scratch my head a little bit that his snap count since Alabama continues to decrease. Um, against Alabama, he went from, he played 35 snaps. Against App State, played 26. And against Michigan State, he played 18. So, He's doing something wrong, I guess. Uh, you know, Jess Simpson has essentially alluded today that he needs to clean up some stuff, uh, the little things, you know. So, 
but he did <laughs> he did recognize that chance um, does make plays, which which is always a good sign. Anything about the defense you want to touch on here? I'm trying to think about anything else specifically, but I feel like you touched on a lot. Um, you know, I really like, again, like throughout like the entire course of the game, like I don't think they gave up, like at least in the passing game, like I think Manny Diaz said it today, like the first like long game they gave up in the passing game was, uh, was or like down the field was like in the fourth quarter there, like basically at the sure. end of the game. So maybe some of the coverage has been a little a better. Counterpoint to that would yeah. be Michigan State found a ton of success just on those bubbles or yeah, on those little on, the mid screens. The, so why would the, they go away from it? You know what I mean? It's true, a hundred percent. Yeah, like like the Gervin Hall whiff is on like one of those little like dunk plays where they just right. kind of like gave it to him and then just took off and. Gosh, that was weird to watch. Like watching it back and like actually seeing it happen, like in real, like not in like real time, obviously, but just like at a normal pace was just like mind boggling. Like I just don't understand. But yeah, everything else I, w- I would definitely, I would definitely double down on. The um, obviously, too, Kenneth Walker, tremendous player. Yeah. You know, I remember the days when Miami had running backs that looked like Kenneth Walker. Mm-hmm. So that is an issue. Uh, for the Hurricanes. Um, let's go, let's just talk kind of, I guess, big picture thoughts on what is wrong with the program. And mainly, I don't necessarily mean the Manny Diaz era. I mean, I guess if you want to go there, you can't, but mainly through these three games, right? Miami's one and two. You could argue they've underwhelmed in each one of the games. Um, I think that's fair to say. Um Big picture thoughts on what is wrong with the program, Gabby. Anything you want to touch on, or do you want me to go first? I mean, just big picture wise, like I just, I mean, I'm at the point where I'm just like, is Miami ever going to be the Miami that anyone ever like that people really expect? Like David, you grew up watching Miami, Miami football in a much better place than I was. I'm, my big thing is just like. Is, is this program even in a situation where it's, it's even fair for that to be the expectation anymore? Like, that's just where I'm at. Like, you know, I think that there's a lot of big picture issues with the program. I mean, I just, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that, you know, it's ever going to be like back on the mountaintop. Like I just, I really just think that this is a, you know, maybe an above average ACC program and you know, maybe that's just what Miami football is going to be moving forward. And it's just going to be obviously a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. And, but maybe like, you know, until I feel like there's a, just an institutional desire to really make the football program, like an elite program, I feel like we're going to get a lot of like this quality of football, like where maybe one year you have the nine win season. And then a few years back, you have the 10 win season. And then, but just throughout those points, it's just going to be a lot of like the, the flows of just maybe you'll have seven wins here and then maybe six wins here and then maybe up to eight. Wins. I just don't know. And I'm just, I'm having a lot of doubts on like what my Miami football even is at this point. So, I mean, I'm not even sure if that's sure. the type of big picture stuff you're talking about, but I mean, that's, that's just heavy. kind of like my, that, yeah, it's like deep stuff. Right. I feel like I'm getting my feelings a little bit, um, um, but yeah. My only response to that would be, look, the last, I don't know, 15, six, however many years, 15, 16, 17, Basically, the results tell us Miami is essentially pit, right? Yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. But it's like pit with like the expectations of like Alabama. And it's like, at what point do just people have to recognize right. that that is who like Miami is more of a pit than they that's are? That's who they of, have been. 
Yeah. But I do think with the right coach, because like, I, I think you in college football, I think we know this, but I don't know how, like, I think Miami is the perfect example of, of how important the coach is. And yeah. so when you go bargain hunting for coaches because you think your logo can raise the level of a coach, um, that's just proven to not be the case now at Miami for 20 years. Um, and, and this is the big money era of college football. You get what you pay for. And your chances are you're not going to outsmart everyone else when you hire coaches from Temple, um, you know, when you uh, elevate an assistant that's never been the head coach of a major power five program. I will say this, Miami is a different job, I think, than a lot of college coaches, coaching jobs. Um, you do need a guy that is a maniacal recruiter, in my yeah. opinion. And I don't think there's many college coaches that are built like that, quite frankly. A lot of college coaches think they can get by with player development and scheme. You know, we've heard all these things, you know, for the last 20 years, you got to get the players first. And that's an area I think Miami has been up and down on for the last 20 years. So I think you need a maniacal recruiter. And I think you do need a guy that's had experience um, leading a real power five program. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this learning on the job stuff. And look, it's not Manny Diaz's fault that he was hired by Blake James to be the head coach at Miami. It's not every, he should have taken that job. Um, absolutely. But it's, it's Miami's fault that they hired a coach that was learning on the job. They've done that with Manny Diaz. They've done that with Randy Shannon. I would argue, quite frankly, they did it with Larry Coker. And, uh, I would even say Al Golden because you're, when you're going from temple to Miami, it's a whole different animal, man. Uh, being a head coach at temple compared to Miami for many, many reasons. So in that regard, you're learning on the job too. People will push back with Mark Richt. I think Mark Richt still, uh, stabilized the program significantly. I think he did a lot of good things. I think two out of the three years, um, he was pretty successful at Miami, a nine-win season and a 10-win season, right? The wheels fell off in year three. And I think, you know, when Miami hired Mark Richt, the concern, honestly, when he was hired was, is he burnt out? Because when he was let go at Georgia, he basically said, oh, I'm going to take some time off. and then. You know, Miami came calling and, and Virginia, I think, too, came calling and uh, he got that urge. And, you know, I think he did get burnt out at the end of the day, in addition to other th- other issues that popped up in the Mark Richt era, specifically quarterback and quarterback coach. So I'm with you, Gabby, like the results aren't encouraging but I do think if Miami is willing to spend the resources, again, this is the big money era of college football. I feel like it's a big if too. I think it's a big if, if you're asking them, 
if you're asking the people around the program to pony up uh, for unproven commodities, why would you pony up for Manny Diaz? Why would you pony up for Al Golden? Why would you pony up for Randy Shannon, right? Um, I think we did see the program pony up for Mark Richt in a lot of ways. Yeah. His assistant pool salary money uh, was significant uh, compared to what Miami had been doing. You know, people ponied up for the indoor practice facility. Um, I think if you are the athletic director at Miami and you present the vision of, hey, here's a proven commodity. I think we can pull it off. Here's the money it takes. And you get the people with the money excited about that vision. I think the money will be there. So, and I think too, look, everyone wants to, to bring up the AD situation and I can't push back on that. Right. Uh, who's the person making the hires. I think that person needs to be held to account as well. Not just the players, not just the coaches, but the person overseeing the entire athletic department department as well. I mean, these wins and losses, quite frankly, are on his record too. Um, and that goes across multiple sports. So, uh, if I'm the athletic director and I get an opportunity to, uh, change the trajectory with a head coach, I would hope that he can make the obvious higher because, you know, these traits that I'm highlighting, there is one obvious hire out there and it's Mario Cristobal, right? And it's going to take money, no doubt. Um, but that's Blake James's job to go out and find that money. And I think with Mario, you know, you sell Mario, I think the money will be found. So that's all I would say about the doom and gloom. Do you push back on any of that, Gabby? No, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think that's just, that's obviously a move a lot of people would get excited about, but I mean, I'm just, I just have my reservations about whether they even want to, like, I don't know. Cause I feel like there's been opportunities to right? like, you know, after the Mark Rick thing, like, I feel like you had a chance to look around and really see what was out there and they didn't, you know? So my thing is just like, do they even want to like, do, do like my, my, my whole feeling is just like, do they want to have an elite football program? Like, I'm not sure. Like, I know that's also like, an administrative thing. Like as I feel like as at a lot of these programs, like everyone, like from the president of the school down is on board, like football needs to be right. great because a successful football program is, uh, it will turn into, well, like it raises everything. It makes the school better. I have a friend that coming out of high school in 2013, he went to the university of Alabama with like a three, one GPA. He said, uh, he looked up the minimum requirement to get into Alabama. Like today, he said he wouldn't have been able to get in because the minimum requirement at the school now is like three, five something. So Absolutely. like you even, you see the success of the school makes people, makes kids want to go to the school, right. which by default with more options, you can raise the academic standards, which, in, which in turn leads to a better academic institution. And that's happened I think, at Miami too. That's the whole reason why Miami is, I mean, let's be real. The football program has been a big PR machine yeah. for the school you know, dating back to the eighties. So that happened at Miami as well. Yeah. And that's why, like, I feel like there's an opportunity for to do it again. Like, I, I don't think it's just, I, I think that there's an avenue where it's just like the getting Miami football, like making those decisions to, to prioritize the football program, to make sure that it is 
on top. Like, I feel like that the trickle down effect is worth the money. And I just feel yes. like they haven't wanted to make that financial commitment by doing, going on a national I coaching don't think it's after not the having, See, I, I, I look at it different. I don't, I, I don't think it's apathy. I think it's arrogance. That's my take. It on could it. be, it could so, be, it's something. Sure. So it'll be, I mean, look, we're not even at this point, so we'll, we'll see if, if any decisions are made in this regard. Um, I don't even know where to go down from this. (laughs) We went down, we went, we went down a rabbit hole. We didn't intend on going down. (laughs) So let's take a break and we will get into some press conference thoughts and, uh, you know, basically the stuff Manny Diaz had to say and pick that apart. All right. We are back. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions Manny Diaz has to answer now. Cause you know, he still is the head coach, of course. Um, so he has to try and find answers now, right, Gabby? Um, let's start, I guess, with the news, the newsy type stuff, right? Derek mm-hmm. King, we've kind of touched on it. Manny Diaz, I guess, you would say officially called him quote unquote questionable this week. I would be surprised if he plays this week. And and frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a lingering injury moving forward. Um, I think Miami's going to definitely turn to Tyler Van Dyke and Jake Garcia this week. And uh, I wouldn't be shocked. It's a short week, uh, the Virginia game. I wouldn't be shocked if that's the quarterbacks we see against Virginia as well. Um, Manny Diaz also said Jalen Rivers is quote unquote doubtful. Uh, just reading between the lines, it does seem like Jalen's dealing with a serious, maybe a serious knee injury. So we'll see if he is able to come back at some point this season. Manny Diaz said he will know more about both Derek and Jalen on Tuesday. Um, well, let's let's just dive into Manny Diaz and what he's identified as the four areas that the team needs to improve on moving forward. He said physicality. He said this is both sides of the ball, so tackling and run blocking. Uh, he said red zone efficiency on both sides. He says turnovers. The offense needs to stop turning it over and the defense needs to get those turnovers. And of course he highlighted catching the football. So Gabby, he's got the answers. What do we think? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think those are like the, like the four obvious things. And I think there's a different, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how he addresses it. Like, even if, you know, let's say do address it in practices, which, which, which you said they will, you know, he said that they're going to, they're going to turn things up uh, just not to, not to like but bring not down on the kid. Yeah. Not tackling, but just like, you know, I guess raise the intensity of practice or popping, he, called it just, he said, popping. yeah, popping. That's what he said. Popping. And so, you know, I guess, I mean, there's a, there's, there's, I think there's a difference between knowing what's wrong and knowing how to fix it. And, um, so I understand, yeah, like, I believe that he understands, I understand that there's, that he understands what is wrong. Um, I just don't know if there is, I- I'm not sure if there's enough to, I don't know if it's, there's not enough time or if there's just, I, I, I need to see it to believe that it's going to get fixed. I'm not sure if at this point, 
this is something that maybe can't, maybe can be fixed in a week or in a couple of weeks. And I don't know how much we're going to be able to see on Saturday because it's, uh, you know, central Connecticut state universities. So yep. I feel Very like even fair. if we see it on Saturday, like who knows how that really translates to the following Thursday against a Virginia team that threw for over 500 yards on North Carolina. So, uh, I mean, I feel like there's gonna, I, I, I feel like we're not going to really know uh, for at least another week and a half of, of what this team's really going to look like after making these observations about the team and, you know, putting, I guess, changing a practice in a way where you're hopefully looking to fix these things without tackling, um, without like bringing guys to the ground and stuff like that. So he said he was straight up ass, like, are guys going to lose their jobs? Like, how do you handle yeah. this situation? Right. Cause it's pretty clear, you know, they have veteran guys, like, let's just say Bubba Bolden and Gervin Hall. Right. Um, it's pretty clear they're not performing the way they should be performing. They have talented freshmen, Cam Kitchens and James Williams. Are they necessarily ready to start? Uh, I don't know. Uh, so I, I don't expect guys to just straight up get benched. Will guys get, you know, lose their snaps to younger guys? You know, reading between the lines of what Manny is saying, that's kind of what I would expect to happen. Um, do you like, let's just stay on the defensive side, I guess. Do you think they can find answers there? Like if we see less Gervin Hall and Bubba Bolden and more James Williams and Cam Kitchens, cause that's what they have right now. I think, you know, in what three games mm-hmm. we'll see Avante Williams. Um, but like, is that an answer there, you know, at striker? Going from Amari Carter to Gilbert Frierson, is that an answer? Because I think Gilbert Frierson also has tackling issues, if we're being honest. Linebackers, I mean, to me, they are what they are. Yeah. Uh, corners, you know, I think DJ Ivy is probably a better, for the most part, but DJ has tackling issues as well. I think he's a better tackler than Takori Couch, but I think Takori Couch is a better coverage guy. So are there answers? Are there solutions here? Not, I'm not defending. Don't get me wrong, guys. I'm not defending yeah. uh, the way these guys are playing or defending leaving them on the field. Because if it were me, I would start a bunch of freshmen this week. But I don't think we're going to see that. Yeah. No, I mean, again, I'm not sure there's that many answers. Like maybe there is a safety, like, you know, maybe you give Cameron Kitchens and James Williams a shot, but you know, otherwise, I mean, are Marcus Clark and Isaiah Dunson, are those guys going to be better tacklers than, you know, Ivy right. to Corey Couch? Like, you know, I, I would, I would probably assume not. And that's that, you know, it's sad to say, but I mean, it's probably the reality of the situation, you know, at linebacker, I mean, who do you got really that you haven't already seen, um, Chase Smith. I'm not, yeah, oh, Chase. He's a striker. He's Chase, yeah, a striker. So I mean, and again, who knows what Chase Smith is going to tackle like right now? We saw flashes in the spring game; they looked pretty good. But I mean, who knows? So I mean, defensively, I'm not sure where where you even turn to. Um, Tell me this: I feel like, well, I don't even know honestly. What what side of the ball, like through these three games, what side of the ball do you feel like is playing better? I mean, I'd probably, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd probably lean defense. I would probably like lean that, defense too. I think they're both not playing well, though. Yeah, right. No, they're I not. I think we they're agree on not. that. 
but interestingly, I feel like I feel much better about the potential and like the offense getting things fixed and getting things figured out than I do the defense. And that's even with like, let's say De'Ara King is out for a prolonged amount of time. I still feel like the offense has a better chance at getting things quote unquote fixed compared to the defense. Do you agree with that? Or would you push back on that? No, I mean, I, I wouldn't push back on that because I feel like, I mean, I feel like Manny Diaz has sort of hinted at this today too. Like some of the guys that you're seeing some may make some of these mistakes are guys that, you know, have made plays in the past, you know, and not that that's the only criteria for getting on the field, but like, we know Will Mallory can make plays because he's done it before. We know Mike Harley can make those catches because he's done it before. I feel like, I feel like too, they have answers, even if they want to go away from those guys. Yeah, right? there's definitely, because like, let's say like what we can't say about defense, like a corner, we like, I don't know what to turn to, but a wide receiver, I mean, we saw what Romelo Brinson can do. Like, you know, right. that's a guy that can step up. Brashard Smith got a sweep. And if Corey Gaynor didn't just absolutely wreck this dude. He looked dude, fast on that he play. He looked super he fast. You know, like you have that speed. You have like that electric playmaking ability that, you know, you can sort of mix in at any given time. You know, at tight end, you have Elijah Arroyo, who's shown a ton of promise. You know, you have a guy there that you can point to Will Mallory and say, hey, look, you might start losing reps to this guy. You know, at, I mean, Jalen Knighton's coming back. Jalen Knighton, you got Jalen Knighton coming back exactly at running back. I do. I will say that the the thing with offense that does give me pause is the offensive line. I just, I don't know. I don't know if they have moves to make there, right? Like Manny Diaz did say, Ja'Kai Clark might factor in. You know, the plan as of last week was redshirting Ja'Kai Clark. Now he might factor into the lineup somewhere. I don't know. Like, I don't know if that makes a big difference. Um, so the offensive line does give me pause on that side of the ball. But even with that said, I feel better about that side of the ball, figuring things out somewhat compared to the defense. Yeah. Did you hear Manny Diaz say that Ja'Kai Clark factored in on Saturday? Like, did you see if he took a snap? Because I didn't see him on the field, but maybe I missed something. I don't know if you caught I don't that think during the press conference. Did he yeah, say that? He did. He said okay. during the that Ja'Kai Clark factored in on Saturday, but I, mean, I don't he remember. Dressed. He did dress. Yeah, maybe that's I, what he I meant by that. Like, I don't game. know. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was a weird. Like he said that, and I was just like, I don't think so. But okay. I mean, whatever. So I mean, I guess that's a possibility. But again, like I feel like the I feel like really it's it's going to start and end at the offensive line because you can have all the guys. You can have Tom Brady back there, but if he can't, if you can't get the you can't get a pass off because you know you have guys blowing up blowing you up off the edge like the way zion nelson got beat the way jared williams got beat at times i mean first snap of the game basically like first Bad. defensive uh, yeah like jared williams just gets absolutely wrecked on the outside and just gear king gets smothered um so you know you can't you can't protect your quarterback i feel like you're super limited on what you can do regardless of who's back there like you need to give your guys time so yeah i think it starts and ends on the offensive line again not really a ton of answers who knows like i, I don't know how much better that's going to get on a week-to-week basis you know, just, right. you know, throughout the rest of just moving forward into conference play. Like, I mean, I'm not feeling super good about it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, is there a guy, I mean, we've touched on the ones that have already played, right. But if you're going to highlight, why are they not playing this freshman? And it can, it could still be Brashard Smith because he hasn't played, but like, you can't say Romello Brinson. You can't say Camp Kitchens or James Williams. 
because they're kind of in the process of working their way into playing more and more, right? But which yeah. one has you scratching your head most right now? Man, I mean, I think it's got to be Leonard Taylor. Like, it's got to be Leonard Taylor. And again, I don't think the defensive line has particularly been a problem. So, like, I kind of right. get it. But, like, I, I mean, I looked up, like, you know, you're just looking at the season stats from, like, a Jordan Miller and a John Ford. Like, John Ford has five tackles through three games, no tackles for loss. Jordan Miller has five tackles, one tackle for loss. Like, you know, at that point, like, it, I feel like if you don't have NFL guys, like, playing over him right now, like, I don't know, like, you're a one and two team. Well, you know, potentially like an average ACC team, like consider if Leonard Taylor was on, let's say NC state's roster, like I bet he would be a heavy rotation guy because you need to throw a guy like that in there. You know, when you're just one of these teams, like, you know, he he's, to me, he's probably one of the most talented guys. And I get that they want to see more from him. And I saw what Jess Simpson had to say about him today that, you know, he wants to see him going from winning one-on-ones to the 11-on-11s. But I think you give a guy like that a chance. And especially if the guys playing over him aren't necessarily like, you know, game changers from the point that they're just, you know, really dominant at the point of attack, just really dominating the line of scrimmage, uh, you know, huge in the run game and all that stuff. I want to see, I mean, he's just someone that I think. I think that's tough there. Is like why is it why, why can't you even find a way to get them eight to ten snaps? Right? Yeah, it's like, like that's it what doesn't I'm even like, need to be a huge role, but just get them on the field to keep them happy, keep them engaged. Because yeah. um, he is a freak; like he's not going to be a bust. No, uh, <laughs> I watched him play a ton of football last year. He that kid is that kid is is something uniquely special. Right. So. And Jess Simpson spoke today. I don't know. I don't think you listened to it because you were transcribing Manny. Um, but Jess did say, we will see more of Leonard Taylor this week. And the message board loved that, of course, because they're like, we haven't seen him yet. What does more mean? So, yeah. you know, and look, it's CCSU. So I, I would definitely expect to see Leonard Taylor play this week. And I would expect him to play, play well because he's going to make plays when he's on the field. Um, yeah, I mean, I would agree with that one. I, I would like to see more of Brashard and Jacoby Mm -hmm. and look with Brashard, like why not get him snaps at running back at this point? Right. Yeah. Um, so they just got to find answers and look, these, they also got to be aware of, uh, when older guys are not doing their jobs. And, you know, dropping passes, missing tackles, just elementary level stuff. These freshmen are going to look at that and say, why am I not playing? Yeah. what, What is going on here? So that's something inside the program. They better be ready to address. Uh, because you know, that is something I've seen bubble up in the past. And when you, when you recruit five stars, five-star players or big time South Florida players, you better have a plan to play them um, or else they're going to transfer out. So, and this, this ties into recruiting too, right? Like uh, if Shamar Stewart sees Leonard Taylor not playing, why would Shamar Stewart come to Miami? Um, And on the flip side, it makes it easier to recruit Shamar Stewart if you are playing Leonard Taylor. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I mean, one thing I will say just like about Richard, like, again, just watching him in a high school setting, 
um, having to take over at quarterback because his team's guy got injured in like the first quarter of the first playoff game. Uh, He was basically the wildcat quarterback um, at the 8A level, which is Florida's highest classification, took him to the state semifinal. I will say that like, you know, you, that's a guy that you want with the ball in your hand because everyone on the field in each game that I saw him play knew the ball was going straight to him in a wildcat formation. And, you know, he found a way to make plays no matter what. And he's an extremely physical guy that is, is going to welcome physicality. Physicality. Yeah. And he's going to, he's going to welcome it. He thrives off it. It's like almost like the more you hit him, the more he sort of like gets into the game and the more he just sort of like comes alive. And, you know, even watching carry the ball on Saturday, like I do think he has that sort of vision where he's no knows where to find the creases in a defense and just hit those holes at just like at an explosive rate. You know, I think he does, he has that elite top end speed. And so, yeah, David, when you say, yeah, give him a carry, it's just like, to me, it's like, yeah, I don't even think about it. I mean, obviously he's a wide, I do think he's a wide receiver, but I also think he's just a football player that's been doing it at a high level since he was in little league. And he's a guy that you want to just give the ball in his hands and just say, Hey man, go play football, go play your game. And, you know, obviously within the scheme and all that, not just run around like a madman, but he's a guy that is going to give you that playmaking ability that I feel like, you know, maybe is sort of needed. And even if it's just as a, a change of pace sort of type of guy where again, you could bring him out around on like the end around and hand him the ball. And, and he got you good yardage, you know, like he, he found a way to, you know, gain. I mean, that was one of the best runs we saw from Miami on Saturday, like from anybody. Um, and so, you know, I, I would be excited about getting him involved. I think he's a really, really good football player. And again, someone you want, you want him to feel like he is a part of the rotation, a part of the game plan, because, you know, he's a guy down the road that I think is going to be a key piece of this offense. I just think he's too talented, too fast. And I just think he's too much of a, of a football player to like not give him a shot to, to, make, to make plays on Saturdays. In this transfer portal era, if you're going to recruit five stars and four star players, you better play them because, you know, they don't have to sit anymore when they transfer out. So I think we would all agree. I think everyone listening to this podcast would agree. We want Miami to recruit five-star players, top 100 four-star players. Um, But you got to find ways to get them on the field, right? You got to get them prepared in some role, right? It doesn't have to be 30 snaps a game, but you got to, you got to get them on the field somehow um, or else they're going to leave. Right. I don't want to cover a program that's essentially like Virginia where you recruit three stars, you redshirt them and you don't see them till three or four years down the road. And even at that, they're above average players because their talent level has a ceiling to it. Miami should embrace recruiting studs. And when that is the case, uh, you're finding ways to get them on the field in some little way uh, as soon as possible. And these guys we're talking about now definitely fit that description. Um, let's go on to Rhett Lashley. He talked about what's going on with the offense. You know, he said basically defenses are playing them different this year than last year. This year, it's a lot of bend but don't break against them. Whereas last year it was stack the box, force the receivers to win 50 fifties on the outside. Um, and so when you're playing Ben, but don't break the defense is counting on you to make mistakes, whether that's penalties, whether that's sacks, whether that's turnovers, uh, whether that's not being able to establish the run. And that's exactly what Miami's doing. So, 
Uh, they're trying to find some answers there. He says, basically, it just comes down to Miami making the routine play. Um, he said, Tyler and Jake, he's glad that those guys got all the, all the reps in the spring, you know, considering that Derek King might be out for some time here moving forward. So that was pretty much it with Rhett. Um, let's go on to recruiting and we will get this wrapped up, Gabby. So Miami had a four-star lineman. Is he a 24-7 sports five-star? He, he's not, but like he's okay. in that five-star range where he's like within that top 32 players. So it okay. seems like he potentially will way. be at the end of the cycle. Yeah. So anyways, big-time player, um, big-time target for Miami, came on his own dime to watch that Michigan State game. What's the feeling? You spoke to him, right? So what's the feeling after that visit? Yeah, um, you know, I, yeah, I did get to talk to him. I mean, obviously, he made, he made his way down for, for that Miami-Michigan State game. Um, obviously, it went how it went, which is disappointing. Um, you know, after the game, you know, his message, like, basically Manny Diaz message to Anthony Lucas is, um, is basically, you know, we're going to get this right. You know, that we're going to, we're, we're going to get, we're going to get all this, you know, fixed. We're going to put together a good season and all that stuff. So Lucas comes back on Sunday and he's there and he meets with the coaches before they go into the coaches meetings. And that's basically the same message that they're sort of like relaying to him is that, you know, we know what basically what he's told is they know what they need to fix and they're going to get it fixed. Um, to just, you know, stay with them and, you know, basically just, you know, basically just keep watching and all that stuff that they're going to get it right. So, I mean, I'm still waiting see mode. I don't think that that helped at all. Just like kind of based on the conversation, I'm just more, I'm more on the side of like, yeah, I think they kind of blew that one, but sure. I mean, he's going to go see Texas A&M. He's going to go see Alabama. He's going to go see oh, LSU. Great. He's going to go see, um, you know, a couple more schools and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, he's, he is a very jam packed fall schedule, uh, with a lot of major programs that are having good seasons, you know, still left for him to see. So, I mean, unless he really loves Miami, um, I, I find it, I find it tough for, you know, them to overcome that sure. one, but he says he's going to, you know, he's going to stay in touch. He's going to keep watching and seeing how they play the rest of the year that he's definitely going to be interested to see how, how they look the rest of the way. So it just, it seems like he's going to, he might potentially keep an open mind about UM and all that stuff. He did say he liked the game day atmosphere that, you know, he thought it was really cool, um, you know, seeing all the people tailgating and, you know, wearing the colors and all that stuff. But uh, again, he still has some pretty, some pretty major programs to go see. So, you know, I'm sure that they could, he's going to see a couple of really nice, like other nice game day atmospheres too. So um, we'll see how it goes, man. I was told by, someone in the building that, you know, he might be their top defensive line target. And that includes like, you know, Nigel Kelly, Shamar Stewart as well. Uh, you know, he's someone they really like. His dad went to UM. Uh, his dad was with him wearing a UM jersey walking into the stadium. Yeah, saw that. So, um, you know, maybe the fact that, you know, it is home in a way, uh, maybe keeps Miami in it longer than maybe if it was some other random program that he was just interested in. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think Miami, I don't think Miami helped themselves this weekend at all. But, you know, let's kind of just kind of kind of wait and see. Like we always talk about, David, the, the highs and lows of recruiting. You know, we'll see what happens, you know, throughout the rest of the way. You also, you know, Miami's one and two now. Obviously, we all know that. So when you get off to that kind of start, you got to reach out to the commits, right? Yeah. Um, 
what was the vibe you got from them? Which ones did you hear from? Which ones did you not hear from? And do we need to read into the ones we did not hear from? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I basically like really the most notable ones I didn't hear back from, um, Traquan Fegans, uh, he didn't hear back from me. I, 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 his dad sort of like, just let me know he was at practice, but then never really heard back from them after that. So it could have been one of those things where it just kind of like sat on his phone and maybe he just didn't get back to me. Like it's been like that with before, as you can imagine, these are, you know, 16, 17 year old high school kids. Sure. And sometimes they just don't answer because they don't want to answer. So I don't want to read too much into, you know, them not getting back to me, but the ones I did hear back from, you know, I thought it was generally positive, you know, Jakari Brown, the quarterback out of uh, Valdosta Lounge, four-star kid. He was very much, you know, I'm fully, I'm fully, you know, in with Miami, you know, I wouldn't have picked Miami if I wasn't all in, no matter what, you know, that he wants to be a part of, you know, basically, you know, helping bring this thing back. Um, you know, he fully trusts Rhett Lashley and his system, all that stuff. So everything you want to hear from your quarterback, you know, yeah. you, you heard that uh, four-star wide receiver, Isaiah Horton, the commit out of Oakland in Tennessee, you know, he said, I'm hundred percent committed. I'm all in. That was generally the consensus from the guys that I did hear from uh, Justin Medlock, same thing, the linebacker out of Texas, I'm locked in uh, Chris Graves. I think got, gave probably the most, uh, the most honest answer. Uh, he was basically like, you know, I would like to see them play their young guys more. You know, I think that they could do, Dang. I think that they could make some, some changes and all that stuff. So I think that that's telling that, you know, these, some of these kids are paying attention to that. Um, yeah. You know, so, I mean, I, th I thought that was a very honest, I thought it was probably, that was probably the most honest, the most open, um, you know, response uh, in terms of just the commits and all that stuff. So again, I'm not sure how much there is to look into there. Um, it seems like, you know, my, he's spent a ton of time at Miami and, uh, you know, he was there for the Appalachian State game too. It feels like he's still in, but, you know, I think it's good that he's able to recognize that, you know, just as a, as a recruit coming in. And it also shows you that these kids are capable of noticing the things that, you know, us as, you know, reporters or, or just like people watching, like they, they could see these things and recognize that there are certain things that maybe that they'd like to see. And, uh, so I think that's, I think that's a definitely one of the more notable ones. Uh, I didn't talk to Kamari Rogers, but I spoke to his father, which I think sometimes could be even a better indicator of, you know, where things sort of stand, you know, talking to the family and, sure. you know, he really was just like, you know, we are fully in with, with coach Diaz where they're basically fully bought into what, you know, what they're doing and what they're doing at Miami that they believe that Kamari, well, he believes that Kamari is a perfect fit for this defense. Uh, you know, he's watched every game. He was in Atlanta. He's seen everything. And, you know, he understands it hasn't gone perfect, but he also, you know, as a, he is a high school head coach himself, he says that there's highs and lows in every season that, you know, sure. there's, there's, it's, you know, you got to kind of just go through it. It's about fixing it and getting right. And that they, you know, they fully believe in the vision and what he has. And he's like that, he's like, this is why they're recruiting my son is because that they know that they have certain deficiencies on their roster. And, you know, Kamari could be a big part of fixing some of these things. So, you know, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the vision has already been sort of laid out in a sense. And, you know, these kids are buying, it seems like they're buying into something greater than maybe what they're seeing on Saturdays. I think that they are, uh, you know, sort of sold on being a part of the solution to eventually get Miami back to where, you know, they hope to be one day. So that was generally the overall feeling from, from those guys. How is Kamari doing? Cause he tore his yeah. ACL recently, right? Yeah, I talked to, I mean, we talked about that probably like the first 10 minutes of the conversation, just about the play, uh, just an unfortunate, 
you know, set of circumstances where, you know, it doesn't seem like it's a, it's a fully torn ACL. Uh, he said it's probably more partially torn than anything else, but they're going to get the surgery. I believe they're getting surgery today. Um, the injury happened not this past Friday night. It was the Friday night before where, you know, I think he, he, he was on offense and, and, you know, he went up to make a catch and kind of like landed on it a little bit weird or got hit. And then, uh, you know, he went to go, he went on, he went and played corner on it regardless. And he just said, it, it just felt a little bit weird. He got checked out and all that stuff, but he wanted to go back in. And then I think it was like a special teams player, maybe back on offense where something just didn't feel right. And his dad just pulled him because his dad is the head coach of the team. And then they went and got it checked out, but he says he's in good spirits that, um, you know, that it, it was tough those first few days, just kind of like sure. understanding that it's all done, but you know, they look forward to, you know, just getting into the rehab process and then continuing to, for him, for him to, the goal is for him to continue his rehab once he gets to Miami in January. And, right. uh, you know, he's really hopeful on what, you know, Miami's medical staff is going to be able to do with him, you know, especially oh, yeah. coming off what they just had to deal with, with dear King. He said that recovery was very impressive. And so, yeah. you, you know, he's very confident that, you know, once he gets into Miami, he'll be in very good hands in terms of just, you know, that you, maybe the second half of that recovery. Uh, you know, until sure. he's probably back. So I would expect him to probably miss next spring with that knee injury. Last thing on recruiting, right? Um, where do you think, th- like, what's your read on where things will go from here? Um, you know, Miami has nine commits. It's obviously hard to recruit your top targets when you start with a one and two record. Um, do you think, I guess, do you, do you think they'll go to play in B options at the high school level? Do you think they're not going to reach for high school guys and maybe keep some options open for the portal? What's your read on all this? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't think Miami's, I don't think they're even going to consider really moving on to plan B's. And that's not to say that new name, there isn't like there's, sure. there's names that they like that maybe aren't the five-star guys, but those are guys that they liked in the summer. And those are guys that they still like right now. They're not just going to start being like, Oh, well let's start figuring out who else we need. Like, you know, I feel like if they, if there is any new names on the board, it's going to be, it's going to be because they genuinely feel like they can make Miami football you know, better. I don't think they're just going to start reaching for lesser talent or talent that they don't feel like is up, maybe up to their standard just because they're off to a slow start. So, you know, I fully expect them to continue to recruit like the Nigel Kelly's, the Shamar Stewart's, the Wesley, the Saints, the, you know, the Jaden Gibson's, the Jaleel Skinner's, you know, the Jaheim Singletary's, all all those types of guys. I think that they're going to continue to sort of battle it out for those guys, maybe sell them on this vision that, you know, that, Miami is a place where they can help elevate this rather than maybe go somewhere that's more established and sit around for a couple of years before maybe getting your shot, like come to Miami, maybe be a part of the solution. And uh, I think that's going to continue to be sort of the message there. Um, I do think at this point with only nine commits that I think, I do think that the transfer portal is a legitimate, is going to be a legitimate option. uh, Maybe even more so than we thought about before. Uh, I mean, when you look at the offensive line, Really, they have Philanthia Carr's well committed. Um, they're going after a Julian Armella. After that, they got Malik Ogbo is probably another guy that they'd really like. But outside of, you know, those two high school guys, I'm not sure if there's any other dudes that they're like willing to, you know, go, go all in for. I mean, that could lead to uh, potential offensive linemen in the transfer portal and other things like that. We just saw what Michigan State did, right? I mean, all you have to do is look across the sideline from Saturday, see what they did with the transfer portal, bringing in 15 guys and seeing how that sort of ended up working out. And, 
you know, Miami yep. uh, obviously has had some success with it in the past. So I could definitely see them going transfer portal heavy and making sure that the high school kids that they do bring in sort of meet that criteria of what they expect the Miami hurricane to sort of look like. All right. It'll be interesting uh, to follow how this class finishes out. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this season finishes out, but we're going to wrap things up here. Now we'll probably do one more podcast this week. I mean, it's CCSU week. No need to like get this. The CCSU have a uh, beat writer. I don't even know. Uh, oh, man. Probably, got, probably got some high school. I mean, not some high school, some uh, school newspaper there kid you go. that just, there you go. We got to, we got to so find we'll, that guy. We'll scrap that. And uh, next podcast, we'll probably go, more just heavy on recruiting right um yeah kind of give a state of the recruiting situation going on type of podcast so appreciate all you guys listening um until next time take care